Praise the Lord. What a wonderful thought. Amen. If that truly is a fact that you're singing about, you are so blessed. You are so blessed. If everything is well with your soul. Carol and I was talking about last night going home. She said, you know, I guess after, after being saved for so many years and thinking about the new birth and being changed, you just kind of take it for granted what God has done for you. She said, truly, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. To be born again is a miracle. Amen. Let's turn to Revelation 22 again today, if you would. <clears throat> Verse 6. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And now John saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Let's read that again because it's quite staggering to me. And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. It already went a similar path to this prior to this occasion here. And the angel refused the worship. But now John approaches it in a little different way. And the angel still refuses. It shows us that God wants to be worshipped alone by himself. Not through anyone else. Not through anyone else. You see, there's so many folks around the message that... Do not worship Brother Branham directly. They do not worship Brother Branham. They never bow their knee to Brother Branham. But yet I'm afraid many of them are worshiping the way John did here. They're worshiping God at the feet of the angel. We don't want to worship God at the feet of the angel or the preacher or the pastor or the evangelist. No, but the angel told him back, I am of thy fellow servants, thy brethren, the prophets. Worship God. Worship God. That's the way we want to do, isn't it? Let's bow our heads together as we ask the blessing on the word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much today for the honesty and the integrity of this man. That he would have written twice about his shortcoming. We're grateful, Father that you have been able to find men down through the ages that would be honest in their own humanity. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because men like this can be an example to the rest of us. Lord Jesus, we certainly know that in our humanity, we all are unregenerate still yet, and we need to be changed, and we know the new body will do that for us. But until that time arrives... We have weakness, shortcomings, failures, faults, and what's the miracle about it is you love us in spite of them all. I pray today that you would help us, Lord, as we endeavor to look back into 
the home that we all are striving for. Help us to see that the city is beautiful, wonderful, majestic, but there must be a people which will match the character of that city. It's the type of people we desire to be. Speak to us today. May there be another building block, as it were, added to our spiritual stature in Christ Jesus. Granted, Father, for it's in the name of the living word, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's look again at verse 7 as we looked at it last night. John and the angel and the Lord Jesus are now going to exchange in this dialogue back and forth. And the angel, of course, has spoken. Now, the Lord Jesus, in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth, keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this Biblion, the Greek word, which is the word we get Bible from, the prophecies of this book. Now, as we mentioned last night, it was such a wonderful thing that John was able to see the beauty and all the layout of the city and the colors and all the majesty and the honor and all that must have just been overwhelming. And then to end, come up to the end of the book, and then instead of going on and on and on and on more and more about the city, no doubt there was a lot more that he could have said. You're not going to convince me that all the man saw. He just, it was just consummated in these couple of verses here. But yet the Lord wanted to kind of change the focus of how the book of Revelation was going to close out. It was not going to be on streets of gold. It wasn't going to be on walls of jasper. But it was going to be on obedience of the people of God to be able to arrive in that city. I know obedience is a very important thing to God. It's absolutely, uh, you know, a, a demand on the presence of God that his people would obey him. And many times he demands that we obey him without understanding. In other words, he tells us to do something and we do it. Why? Because, well, he's God and you're who you are. So he can do it that way and he don't figure he owes us an explanation. But man has a hard time with that. Man wants to reason. Man wants to know why. We started doing that when we were kids. Mama would say, do this, and we'd say, well, why? Daddy would say, do this, say, why? He said, open your mouth again, I'll mash your mouth, boy. Because you all don't do that today. You do one, two, three, 3,892, 3,894. But I didn't do that when I was being raised up. My daddy told me to do something. I better do it. I wouldn't be able to eat for a few days. Now, y'all called it a physical abuse, and what have you got? I'll tell you what, I figure I got every one, every one that I got, I needed, and probably needed a whole lot more than what I got. And I figure our kids today need way more than what they get. It's easy to look around and see what they're developing into. So God wants the importance and the value of keeping his word to be emphasized in the greatest book of the, of the New Testament, and that was the book of Revelation. And the word revelation comes from the Greek word, which, mean, which is apocalypsis, and it is the unveiling or the taking off of the cover. And the book of Revelation not only reveals Christ, but it reveals Satan. It reveals Satan's wife. It reveals Christ's wife. It reveals the past, the present, and the future. So it reveals 
show so much in this great book. And the Lord Jesus wants the readers that's going to be able to read it to be able to have confidence. So he lets them know, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to John to be able to confirm this. So it was a little bit different than the prophets of the Old Testament just receiving a revelation. Now, a prophet is so designed that his subconscious and conscience lays very close together like this. Now, most of us are not that way. So whenever we have dreams, we actually dream in our subconscious. And depending on how far apart your subconscious is from your conscience, you might dream. And when you come out of that from the subconscious into the conscience, you'll remember things about the dream. Is it? Well, I don't remember if there was five camels I saw or if there's four, but I think that there was three hogs and then there's two dogs and then people come to me with them kind of symbols and I just tell them what I ought to tell them. Forget it. The prophet says, God did him with you in a dream. There's no symbols. There's no this and that and the other. It's just plain. So just, just forget a lot of them things you have. There ain't nothing to it at all. Well, praise the Lord. That's right. So, but the prophet was designed so he would be able to go from his first conscience into the subconscious with his eyes wide open. But God chose not to deal with John in that way alone on the Isle of Patmos, but to actually send an angel down that would be a, a visible manifestation and he would be able to see this angel and the angel would talk to him and it was something apparently a little bit beyond just a revelation. And I find it absolutely amazing that God chose to reveal then in the end time the mysteries of God the same way to the seventh angel. Now, God could have given Brother Branham revelations, and he did of many things, but God chose to reveal some of these things to our prophet messenger in the same way that he chose to reveal it to John, and that was he sent angels down. We're a blessed people, are we not? So the Lord wanted us to be able to have confidence and know that this is not just something that John has dreamed of, not something that John thought it would be a good idea, but I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify of these things. Now, he wants us to realize also the value of keeping his sayings, and the word saying is the word logos. So it is the written word as also the rhema word, which the rhema word is something that God gives you, which is in season. It is the logos, but it's something that is quickened to you for the time that you need it. Now we know the book of Revelation uh, was going to be told by John the, uh, contrary to what was told to Daniel. To Daniel, the prophet Daniel, he said, seal up these things for the time is not at hand. It's for the end time. Many, many days will come and go, so seal up the prophecy of the, of the book. But to John he says, don't seal up the writings of this book for the time is at hand. So already the Antichrist was writing, already things were happening, transpiring. So he said, don't seal it up. But there was going to be part of it which was going to be kept sealed until the last day. But the Lord Jesus wants to emphasize to them, and I believe to us as well, the importance and the value of obeying his word. Now at that time, of course, Christendom had not entered into the state of where it is today to where there's so many mouth Christians and they are tongue Christians and they are talking Christians but they're just not very obedient Christians. 
But yet the Lord Jesus knew that it would come to that spot. And so he goes to emphasizing it already in that day. That blessed are they that will keep his commandments. Now the seven beatitudes of course in the book of Revelation. We'll try to take them a little later. But he says behold I come quickly and blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now we know that we're blessed to believe it. We know we're blessed to be able to have a Bible to read it. We're blessed to be able to have a language where we can comprehend it and put in our language where we can make sense out of it. But that within itself is not by which this beatitude will grant the entrance to eternal life. But this beatitude is based upon your obedience to that word. So talking about it alone is not enough. Memorizing it is not enough. But it requires keeping, which is to make a treasure out of and hold as a value to your heart. And his commandments are not grievous. Notice John picks up the same thing now. I find it amazing because John writes more about this keeping and this obedience than all the rest of the New Testament writers put together. John writes about it, of course, in the epistle called John. He also writes about it in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and also in the book of Revelation. Somehow, this beloved disciple of love caught an understanding about love is more than just saying you love God. But love also transfers into a life which helps you to become obedient. And you're not a grouchy, contrary obedient. Well, I've got to do this because God said so. I'll go to hell if I don't do it. No, but it's done merely out of the love of God, which brings a submissiveness, which obedience couples with, and it brings forth a progeny of the predestinated seed of God. As we looked at it uh, on, on Wednesday night, I think it was, to where that the offspring of the world, the cosmos, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that is the offspring of carnality mixed together with the, the cosmos of the world. But when we look at obedience to the Word of God to a real Christian which is born again. It comes from a heart that has been recreated by the Spirit of God. It has been filled with the indwelling presence of the divine nature. So it's the very same nature that was in the Lord Jesus that made him obedient to the Father's Word. It's the very thing that every person sitting right here today, if you're born again, you have the same thing. So you have been made to be a partaker of the divine nature. Is that right? Now that divine nature then imparts to us a willingness plus a desire to be obedient to the word. So it is not something that oh I have to do it. I've got to go to church. I have to pay my tithes. I've got to clap my hand. I've got to. No, no. You, you need to go farther in God to get rid of that resentment because you're doing it but you still have a resentment toward the God who's demanding it of you. And that will never put you and I in the rapture. We must have a willingness which comes by the divine nature. So once God replaces our old carnal nature that we were born with and takes that nature out and replaces it with the deposit of his own divine nature, then mechanics and dynamics come together and it starts forming you toward the living image of the living God. That as you feed upon the word, you become the word in action. So it's no longer just you talking about it, quoting it, oh I 
I love the message. Oh, I love the Bible. Oh, I love this. I love that. All kinds of folks can say that. But you'd never know it by the way they live. Because they don't keep it. They don't see the value. Their value is just being able to quote it. Their value to many message folks, their value is listening to the tapes and playing the tapes. It's not so much necessarily important that they live it. It's not so much important that they understand it. You know, it's just saying it. Well, you know, uh, Brother Branham told Billy Paul he didn't need to understand it. But what I find amazing in that very same tape that that supposedly comes from, that Brother Branham tells us a true eagle will understand. So you know what I'm going to say? What's on the tapes, not what somebody else said he said. Well, the prophet told us in 1965, if you are a true eagle, you will understand the word of your day. Is that right? That ain't enough. Well, amen, amen, amen. I believe it. Well, I believe it too. But I want to understand what God wants me to understand. Praise the Lord. Now, notice this, how John picks this up again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So in the keeping of the commandments is an evidence of the love of God that has been deposited in our hearts. And we know that, of course, 1 John 3.16, John 3.16 said, God so loved the world. But then in 1 John 3.16, John brings it on down and shows that the manifest love of God of John 3.16 received in the heart of an individual makes them turn right around and love their brother and makes them love God. So, so much of the preaching of this day especially is done only on the emphasis of how much God loved and God loved and God gave. Well, let's just turn that right around. What if God loved and God gave? If you love, you'll give. I ain't talking about your money now. I'm talking about you will give something. It's much easier for folks to give their will and their makeup and their opinion and their ideology than it is to reach in their billfold and give a $100 bill to somebody that's hungry or sick. To be able to give your all, to be able to give your thoughts, to give everything about you that is in your way. It is a very difficult thing. And most of us will fight this battle until we come right to the very end. But here John wants a surmise of what real true love really is. So it's more than God feeling sorry for humanity and God sent his little boy down here to die for those that would receive him. And then those that receive him, they just open their heart and they have eternal life. They can never backslide. They basically continue on with the same type of life they lived before. But before they was a cussing sinner. Now they are a cussing Christian. They was a drinking sinner. Now they are a drinking Christian. So they just change their name. You know, and they go to church on the occasion and they, they flip through the scan, the, the TV preacher's on their TV, and they find the smiley one because he tickles everybody's ears and tell them they're all going to heaven and he ain't going to condemn nobody. Well, you're at the wrong church if you come to hear that sort of stuff. That's right. So this is what they want. So it's all about God loved, God loved, God loved, God loved, and God loved, and God gave. And God's doing all this for them, and they don't have to do nothing. They don't have to go to church anymore. They don't even have to live right anymore because God did it all. That is damnable doctrine straight from the pits of hell. That's right. God did love. God ordained for us to be there. But now the Lord Jesus closing out with this vital, vital, important fact that not only did I love and I give, but if you love, you also will give yourself. 
and you will give of everything that you are. Now notice in John, the very apostle of love. So truly this man had an understanding of love. For he said that this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So it is more than that we don't just love in word or in, in, in just speech and all that. Oh yes, I'm telling you what, I love God with all of my heart. But John went on to say that we love him in deed and in truth. Now a man says that he loves his wife. He says that he loves his children. A man says he loves God and he loves the church and he loves all that. But yet the man is constantly looking and focusing on what all of those around him can do for him. At his time frame, at his schedule, everything is about this man. And yet he said he loved all these others. It is a very selfish, deceived man or a woman, praise the Lord, because, oh, they want love. Yes, they do want love, and they do want to get a little bit of love back. But the focus of it all, the bigger portion, is always what you can do for them and how you can help them and how you can make them a better person as long as it's in harmony with what they want. That is not Christianity, friends. That is satanic. It is idolatry in the last day. But true Christianity is eternal life, is truly living for others, right? So here Jesus now wants to emphasize, and John, remember being there in his presence, had caught this. And in verse 18, John goes on to say, For we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Whoa. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Who is regenerated by the Spirit and grace of God, quickened by His power, is not an habitual sinner. Nor is he under the dominion of sin. Now, will he make mistakes? Yes, he will. We just read about John making one. How many still makes them? Oh, praise God. Glad for all you angels visiting with us this morning. How many still makes mistakes? How many still has to say, God, forgive me? Lord, I shouldn't have said that to my husband, my wife. Lord, I got mad at Brother Donnie preaching. I got upset at the deacons over this or that or the other. Well, we still need forgiveness, don't we? That's right, we do. But yet, does it mean that we are under the dominion of sin as we were before we got converted? No, you cannot be if you are regenerated. But because there's an element of you which has not been truly converted yet, then it has that, that sway over you, the human part, the carnal part, and Satan will constantly pull upon that and catch you at your weakest time and he will cause you and I to get into situations that we should not be into. Amen, Mother Daughter. But whosoever, John says, is born of God, sinneth not. Now we're talking about born-again Christians which have been regenerated and they are of the genos of God. So they are actually born of divine nature. Then that old nature is totally eradicated. They can no longer sin sin by nature, but they can make mistakes and fall short of the glory of God along the way. But if they have been regenerated, they will repent and they will make it right and you don't have to beg them to do it. If they're born again, they see they're wrong, something in them, the nature of God wants to make that sin right. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, one of the best ways I know that you're born again is when you're able to admit your mistakes and be able to confess your wrongdoings and make them right before God and the people you have offended. 
That's right. Because you are regenerated by his spirit and it releases that quickening power within the soul. Now if we could all live under that anointing all the time, 24-7, then you know what? The mistakes would be minimal, if any at all. But the problem of it is that we don't. So we work and we go out here and we, we mingle with the world and we've got so many other things that we do if we stayed alone and prayed and read our Bible and done all of that. Well, we wouldn't have near as many problems, but of course we wouldn't eat, would we? And we'd, all of us would die before long. So God wants the balance in us to where that we're able to be out there among the world and he knows with that will come contamination and that will come weakness and you will fall and you will make mistakes. But you are not doing it in the same channel that you did when you were a sinner. Because when you were a sinner, it was habitually. It was your life. It was your nature. Whenever you sinned as a sinner, it was not a mistake. It was the reflective attribute of your father, which was the devil. Well, amen. But the man or woman who is born again, they no longer sin habitually. They no longer sin under this, this dominating power which controls them. Why? That thing is gone. The sinful nature has been annihilated. Praise the Lord. And yet, even whenever they do sin, make mistakes, whatever you want to call it, whenever they do fall short of the glory of God, it is totally impossible for them to ever sin so far that they go beyond the redemptive power of God. They simply cannot do it. A person who is born again can never sin away their day of grace. Well, I hope y'all are going to preach with me this morning. There's no way for them to do it because their old parenthood has been absolutely annihilated. Their old nature has been annihilated. And now God is responsible for that new nature, that new soul. God is responsible and that they can never do it and they won't do it because it's just simply not in them to do that. So they say, well, okay, if I can do that, then I can go out and drink and do this and that and the other. No, you're not born again. You're not born again if you're doing those things. But if you are born again, it does not mean that you're exempt from human weakness and human failure. You will have it, but it will be totally impossible for you to ever sin so far after you become born again that you cannot be renewed in the presence of God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Brother Don, that sounds like Baptist to me. Uh-uh, that's pure word doctrine. That ain't got nothing to do with the Baptist. Notice now, John says, For we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now remember, from the nature of your new seed life on the inside of you, it never generates sin anyway. That's the part that is born again. So your new genos of God totally cannot even sin anyway. Your soul can't even make a mistake after you've been born again. Wow, that's a mouthful. Your soul cannot even make a mistake. It's absolutely impossible because it is truly born by the Spirit. Spirit of God. Amen. But this old house that the body lives in is still a human. That's right. For we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God. And isn't it amazing now the same man that wrote about John 3.16 about God's only begotten son now expands the power of begettal beyond the Lord Jesus and saying that the New Testament saints are also begotten by the same Elohim as the Logos was himself, the son of God. Y'all hearing me this morning? 
Whosoever is born of God, but you're not only born of God, but you're begotten of God by the Word. So who was it that begot you? Your natural father, of course, uh, through your mother, naturally. But it was the Almighty God who has begotten you by His Word. So God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And when John writes this, of course, in John 3, the Lord Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. But there had been an expansion of the family of God by the time He writes this in 1 John 5, 18 which was written around 90 AD. So we see the expansion of the family of God. So it's no longer just one begotten son, but God has one and another and another and another and another. How are they begotten through the same channel that Jesus was? The power of the ghetto by the spoken word of God. Amen. So the seed of God does not come naturally, of course, to your mother and your father. You cannot hand it down to your children, but it is God alone who puts it there. Now notice he said, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. How in the world is that possible? He that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Now, I, I like this whenever I found this, Brother Terry, and said it on this. The Latin Vulgate actually reads, which is one of the old manuscripts in the Latin. The Vulgate Latin version reads, the generation of God keeps or preserves him. The generation of God. Remember when Moses wrote it down about the heavens and he said, these are the generations of the heavens. So it was that the heavens started out in stage one and then from stage one went to stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five. But it was like a spiritual evolution of God by the creation of the word that another advancement of the same thing, another advancement, and it expands as it goes. Well, here's the new birth the same way that God starts in us through Christ Jesus and the generation of God. We are all first generation today. We're born the same generation Peter and James and John was. We ain't no grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. We're the generation of God. Notice this. So the Vulgate says the generation of God keeps or preserves him. That is, that which is born in him, the new man, is the part which has been begotten by God. Now remember, this is what makes it, friend. So don't just put it all on your legalistic works and, you know what, I, I pray my, I mean, read my Bible so many times a day and I pray so many times a day and I absolutely make myself listen to so many tapes during the day. I listen to five hours, six hours. You're, you're going right toward legalism. You're going right toward that. And should you not do that? Yes, you should do it. But not on the merit that that is going to give you eternal life. There's only one thing that gives us eternal life. That's through our Lord Jesus Christ and none other way. The prophet can't give us eternal life. Nobody else can give us eternal life. But he is the source of eternal life according to St. John 17 too. And as many as thou hast given unto him that he may give eternal life unto them. So then the source of eternal life is him. But our works have to do with the, the life of the regenerated power in us living itself out and it also helps us to guard, protect and keep our own walk so we're not given to save ourselves fill ourselves with the Holy Ghost but our walk is placed in our hands you know the garments of righteousness attributed to the bride the Lord Jesus was the only one given only power that could give us that robe of righteousness but yet the Bible tells us that they have washed their own robes and made them white of the blood of the Lamb so the Lord Jesus gave us the robe, but we do the laundry. Praise God. He gave us the robe, but we do the laundry. 
So whenever we fall short of the glory of God, what do we do? We got a spot or a wrinkle on our garment, then we take it to the laundry and we wash it. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Praise the Lord. Now we cannot buy these clothes. We cannot get these clothes, but we can keep them clean. Well, laundry's a big job, isn't it, sisters? Some of you brothers know how to do it. I don't I ain't too much on laundry, but I'll sure help Carol whenever I can. I'll fold up stuff and do this and that. But it's a pretty big thing. But I'm doing it all the time spiritually because that's part of what we are here. We're a spiritual laundromat. So folks come in here with big old stains on their garment and they come in all wrinkled and they got all kinds of things going on on them. Well, I'm a seamster, not a stress, a seamstress. I'm a seamster, I'm an ironer. Sometimes I iron the pants with the men in them, but I tell you, sometimes that's what you have to do. Uh, you know what? You iron the dress sometimes with the sisters in them because they need a good scorching while you're trying to straighten them out. So you do whatever needs to be done in order to present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord Jesus. You are under my charge, friends, and under my care and as long as I'm here I want to do my best to present you to the Lord I don't want you walking up before God and looking like a Dalmatian well praise the Lord the bride is not going to look like a Dalmatian she's going to be clothed in spotless white wash in the blood of the Lamb of God but it just so happens we're living in the filthiest, darkest, most wretched age that everybody's around. You can't go to Walmart hardly without getting contaminated with the music that's playing or the magazine that's on the rack or somebody dressed ungodly. Don't sit there and look at me like it don't affect you because it does. So what do we have? We have the ministry of the washing of the water by the word that helps get thoughts out of our mind and shortcomings out of our being and helps us to be able to keep our laundry constantly washed and clean before the presence of God because we want to keep the word do we not oh my notice so it releases us by the regeneration power of God from the old life that we had that kept you know kept reoccurring the say well I need to do better I need to there's no way we can do better there's absolutely no way we can make ourselves any better because it was the power that was in us but yet now John says a man that's born of the spirit of God keepeth himself and he cannot do it by his own power but there are things we must do look friend if you don't know it now you need to start reading your Bible you need to listen to the tapes of the prophet of God. You need to come to church. Amen. Amen. You need to be in the right kind of fellowship of saints of God. Y'all the time hanging around sinners and hanging around people out there in the world. There's something wrong with you. You see, a son of God or a daughter of God will keep themselves by also taking unto themselves the whole armor of God. And when Paul writes that, he does not say the Holy Ghost will do it, but he said, take unto yourself the whole armor of God. So it is something that we must do. I know Laodiceans don't want to do nothing for God. They want God to do everything. They want God to usher them right into paradise and them to not have to lift their finger. That's not the way it works. There's obedience that's required. There's keeping that's required. There's praying that's required. Amen. There's things we've got to do. Oh, thank God. How many wants to do your part? 
Notice here, I love this, the way that John goes on to say this. And he says in the latter part of this verse, he said, He that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches him not. Can you imagine now a man or woman being so close in the presence of God that Satan cannot be able to get at him to wound him from the soul to ever make his soul ever turn away from God. Now, not saying that the enemy cannot even afflict his body and and torment his spirit and torment his mind and and be able to cause all kinds of things to come against him. But Satan's hold is forever broken on your soul. So here John likens and he said the wicked one touches him not. In other words he cannot overcome him he can never devour him he can touch his life but hey you know what you're absolutely undefeatable you are unstoppable Because he cannot get close enough as we looked at last night. Your life is hid with Christ in God and Satan cannot find you. Can he tempt you? Yes. Can he bother you? Yes. Notice this in the future home. Brother Ram said Satan will be taken from the earth just like Satan was taken away from you. Satan cannot bother or he can tempt but he cannot get a born again Christian. He can tempt, but he cannot get. Can we fall into those temptations? It's evident we all have done it, right? We've fallen short of the glory of God. But Satan cannot get a son or daughter of God. For God from the foundation of the world foresaw him and sent Jesus to redeem him. And the blood speaks for him. How can he sin when he can't even be seen by God? Oh my, the only thing he hears is your voice. He sees your representation. Amen, that is true. Praise be to God. Notice this in Revelation 2 and one of the messages to the church ages. He that overcometh and keepeth my works. Now here Jesus changes it somewhat and goes from the sayings, the Logos, unto my works, unto the end. To him will I give power over the nation. So this is very important and very relevant to the ending up of the church age that we not only have the word of Jesus, but we're doing the same works. And Jesus didn't play the Father's tapes. Now, if that was the true gospel, then Jesus would have played the Father's tapes, and then Jesus would have told the disciples, now you all play my tapes. Of course, the disciples wouldn't have made no tapes, so they couldn't have told their followers to play their tapes. So what was the works? Preach the word. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. Isn't it amazing that Jesus said the real overcomers will not only keep my word, but they will keep my works to the end. And I will grant them power over all the nations. So these are going to be rulers. Well, praise the Lord. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Isn't that amazing that the Lord Jesus knew this old Antichrist spirit would raise up in the last day and try to do away with preaching? Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. 
My, look at this word. Wait, be vigilant metaphorically. Give strict attention to. Be cautious, active, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. Now this isn't the Lord Jesus, you imagine, telling his people to watch. Watch and keep us his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So Jesus again, now this one of the Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, bless it is he that watches so not just hearers he don't just hear he don't just go to church but with vigilance he's watching every day he watches Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and on and on and on every day out of the week he's watching every day knowing that his enemy is out there as a roaring lion Oh my, he's waiting for his Lord to come, but he's also watching for the enemy to raise against him and do everything that he can. Now remember, friend, if you've got the Holy Ghost, I'm not sure how Satan knows it. There must be some type of, of way from the sphere of light in our soul, something to where the bee and them demons know that that soul has been sealed off in the presence of God. So they focus more on affliction of sickness and stress and the spirit. And they focus on pressure and all the outside thing of the spirit and of the body. Because the soul being sealed with the Holy Ghost, why waste their time trying to get that soul? And we know that there's something about us that pulsates the light of God in the supernatural realm. And there must be something there. Even Brother Branham, when people would come up, oh, I see you're a Christian. I see you're a son of God or daughter of God because the light is coming from you. So he knew they were a Christian because light come from them. Others would walk up, I see you're a sinner, sir. You're not saved. I see that darkness hanging around you. So in the realm of vision, supernatural, it was either light or darkness pulsating from your soul. Is that right? So there was something there. So if Satan cannot ever enter into your soul, he'll try to oppress your spirit. He'll try to make your mind all muddled up with the things of life and the difficulties of life and the problems and things that we go through. Is this right? So what do we have to do? We have to watch every day of our life for that liar, that deceiver, that trickster. Notice now, this is amazing to me in looking at the, the type that the Lord Jesus said, that he will keep his garments. According to the Mishnah, the captains of the temple in Jerusalem went their rounds of the precincts at night. Now, so there were, there were police officers, as we call them today, and they would go around through the precincts of the temple. And if a member of the temple police was caught asleep at his post, his clothes were taken off and burned and he was sent away naked in disgrace. Now remember, these were people that were in the house of God. These was not sinners. These were not people on the outside, the Gentiles. These were people that were supposedly in the house of God, supposedly at their post of duty. But they fell asleep. So here would come the temple guardians and they would find these people there and they found them asleep. Then they would come upon them and they would take their garments given to them by designation of their position and they would take their garments from them and they would burn them. Well, you can imagine then by the next morning here comes daylight and your shift is over. And you're walking to your house naked. You ain't got a stitch of clothes on. Everybody looking at you, knowing who you are, what your position is, and knowing that your clothes are gone, it tells them what happened. You were not at your post of duty and being faithful. 
Now, I'm not just talking about, of course, sitting in a church pew and taking up a spot. But I'm talking about doing what God has given to you and allocated for you to do as part of the body of Christ. Now, here Jesus uses this and he alludes to it that those that are in and around the church, in and around the message, whatever more, and yet they're really not faithful. They're really not doing what they're called to do. They're really not doing everything, even in their own heart that they know they should do. Then they will be caught and their garments will be taken from them and they will be left in the tribulation period, which of course, without a wedding garment. Oh my, I don't want to be found in that kind of spiritual state. Oh, you said that'd be awful naturally. I've been caught that way naturally. Ain't nothing compared to being caught that way spiritually. Now Jesus likens it, of course, to being found without any garment on him. Notice this again in Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly and blessed is he that keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Those that receive the prophecy of this word as if it was a divine communication from the Almighty, which is what we receive it as don't we we don't believe this was John's ideology or John's opinion but it was a divine communication from God now notice in verse 8 and I John saw these things and heard them and when I heard and seen I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things wow How could a servant of God like this be caught in this type of scenario? Now, you know, it must have been quite overwhelming. I mean, you know, it's easy for us to sit on this side. Most of us have never had anything of these experiences like John did. So you've got supernatural beings that are appearing and disappearing. Some of them are in the realm of the fourth dimension, the realm of vision. Some of them are actually visible. So part of the time you're there in a tangible world and you're seeing them. When he saw the Lord Jesus, he walked in and he passed out basically at his feet. And Jesus walked up and he laid his hand on him. So that was a physical manifestation of the divine being. But yet much of this was vision. So John was in and out. He would have been in the fourth dimension and then back into these three. And then he would have been back out again. And other times God would have sent the angel of the Lord. Part of the time it was the theophanic appearance of the Lord Jesus. And it would have been very difficult to have known, you know, in and out of this world. Brother Bram himself talks about seeing vision. And he said, you see so many that you don't even know if you're in this world or out of this world. You don't even know where you are. Remember him saying that? So it would be quite difficult. So, you know, I'm I'm going to give John myself the benefit of the doubt that John was a great man. We believe that, do we not? A man filled with the Holy Ghost. Do I understand how John was able to succumb to this thing? No, I do not. But neither do I understand all the supernatural and the things that the man saw. Now, this is only my view and my opinion. Okay, do what you want to with it. But in my view, I really wonder if John was not convinced convinced that it was an appearance of the Lord Jesus. And looking at what he saw, that it looked very similar and had a very great image that was bore the image of a theophanic appearance. And it was something that was very, very spiritual, no doubt spiritual, supernatural, and not improbable at all that he would have thought that it was the Lord Jesus. But yet, you know, whenever John sees that he is wrong, John does take correction. 
Now this one thing I said last night that I love about the honesty of a real prophet of God. A real prophet of God, when he says something wrong, he can be corrected. Only false prophets cover their tracks with lies. That's right. Now notice John wrote this about himself. Now he knows, no doubt, Brother Terry, there's going to be all kinds of folks that's going to read this. But a good man can also relate to his shortcoming. But a false man, what he does is he always relates it well to you misunderstood me. You misunderstood me. It was your all's fault that it didn't come to pass. You all are to blame, not me. That's a liar and a false prophet. Right here's a true prophet of God. Now, John was corrected, and he was able to be corrected, which shows, of course, the Holy Ghost. But notice this now in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, because this had happened before. I fell at his feet to worship him. But do you notice the terminology here? In this instance, John actually falls down to worship the angel. Now, here, he's going to actually give worship unto this angel. This next occurrence in Revelation 22, he does not actually say he was going to worship the angel but he was falling at the feet of the angel to worship God neither one of them are accepted in the presence of God now notice this I fell at his feet to worship him and he said unto me see thou do it not I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy now here John actually falls before this angelic being to worship him as I said how I appreciate a prophet of God how many of you would write this about you Now, if you was the one writing the book of Revelation and you had fell down before an angel to worship him and then you saw you was an error and the angel corrected you, would you carefully leave out those couple of verses? Now, don't sit there and look at me with them big eyes. You know how we are about concealing the truth about our faults. And our failures and our, well, what they don't know won't hurt them. What they know, my bet, it will hurt you if you don't confess your wrongs. But this is a real servant of God. This is a real prophet of God. Show him he's wrong, he can be corrected. Now John could have said, well, angel, it's your fault. You shouldn't have appeared to me shining like that. You got me all confused there. You shouldn't have never appeared that way. Now, angel, I'm ashamed of you. Shame on you for doing that because you, 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 you tricked me and that ain't right of you to do that. But John just went ahead and fessed up the way we ought to do and said, you know what? I messed up. I messed up. I fell down before an angel to worship that angel and I got it wrong. Well, praise God. And I'll tell you one friend, when you think about how serious this is, Paul wrote about angelic worship and you know the history of the first century here when this was going on angelic worship was very big in this time and era in history and Paul even worshipped about or talked about them worshipping angelic beings so here John falls down and in one sense of the word it would have been a form of idolatry had it been of a person willing to do it but somehow the Lord knew John's heart and knew John was right but John was wrong but in his heart he wanted to be right so the angel said no 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 hey don't don't worship me worship God amen 
Notice now, so he falls into the same era or the similar era. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard, I fell down to worship before the feet. Now notice, John does not do the exact same thing again, but it's a modified version, but it's still wrong. Now John does not say, I fell down to worship the angel, but I fell down to worship, and in the Greek, I fell down to worship God, but at the feet of the angel. Oh my. So now we have John again in error, worshiping God at the feet of an angel. Well, children, I just wonder how many there are around this message that worship God at the feet of the seventh angel. They feel like they're worshiping God by making Brother Branham deity and making every word that went out of his mouth, thus saith the Lord, so on and so on and so on. You understand what they're doing? They're worshiping God at the feet of the seventh angel. That's what they're doing because they, they get more excited talking about Brother Branham than they do the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm going to preach with or without your amens, but remember, this service is being recorded. If I was you, I'd want God to know I believe that. That's right. Notice then he says, I, I, I heard and I've seen these things and I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. Now this time, Brother Jim, he does not fall down to worship the angel. Oh, angel of God, angel of God. Oh, no, 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 no. But John falls down to worship God before the feet of the angel. Now here he, he in a sense, is repeating the sin of Dan. And the sin of the brethren of the Old Testament, whenever they made the gods that they made out of the molten images, and they never, 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 whenever you study idolatry of the children of Israel, many of them never actually believed that the golden calf was God. They never actually believed that many of the idols were God. They believed they simply represented God to the people. They simply believe it was just an image or a resemblance of God. Something that would help their faith. Ah, something that would help their faith to be able to contact God through this image. So by them going up and touching the calf and this and that and the other, oh no, they was not praying to the calf. They was not saying, oh calf, you saved us. Oh calf, you brought us out of Egypt. No, it was a representation of that invisible God. And they were worshiping God at the feet of the calf. Woo! They were worshiping God at the feet of those idols because it gave the invisible God an image which helped their faith. True faith don't need no visible image. Well, let me go ahead and lay it down to you, friends. That's exactly what goes on around the world today. People are worshiping God at the feet of their pastor, at the feet of this and that and the other. We ought to be able to worship the invisible God because his life is in us. We shouldn't need no images, no statues, no this or that or the other. I know people in the message that pray and look at the picture of Brother Branham and call on the name of the Lord Jesus and pray. That's idol worship. You're worshiping God at the image of the prophet and you think you're holy in doing so you're an idolater oh my goodness you look at a picture of me sure to the goodness we got nobody in this church dumb enough to do that look at a picture of me and call it on the name of the Lord Lord have mercy you might as well look at a picture of the donkey 
I'm not no approach to God. No, is any other man the approach to God. There's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Oh, my, my, my. How many can follow a prophet like this kind of prophet right here? Amen. Boy, Brother Don, oh, that, that turns me all to pieces. Why? Oh, it hurts you to find some of these people were like you? This is why people don't like this when you say these things about Brother Branham. Because it tears down that man-made imagery that they have made in their mind. It's a false image. It does not exist. Brother Branham, my friends, was not a sinless human being. He was not Jesus Christ. He was a sinner saved by the grace of God. A man that needed to repent and be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, my. When I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. Now, he doesn't repeat his same sin before. But it's modified somewhat. Then says he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. Praise God. Amen. So the angel at whose feet John fell down to worship God is standing there correcting him for his error and letting him know, I am a prophet. I'm just like you. Now, as I said, folks don't like hearing that about Brother Brown. They don't mind for you to make Moses a man. They don't mind for you to make Joshua a man. They don't mind for you to make Paul a man, but don't you dare make Brother Branham a man. I wasn't the one that made Brother Branham a man anyway. God did. Plus his mother and father's mixture of DNA. But you know what, friend? We can look and see, thank God for this man. Because I really wonder if some of the folks who pushed this about Brother Branham would have been able to edit the message. Been able to edit the message for the tapes and the books ever got out. I wonder how many of Brother Branham's failures we wouldn't find in the message no longer. Because they'd want to go in there and take it out. Why? They can't comprehend a prophet like that. That's the only kind God ever had. God only had one perfect prophet on the earth, and that was the Lord Jesus. All the rest of them were imperfect. They had flaws. They had mistakes. Just like all of his pastors, all of his teachers, all of his trustees, all of his deacons, all of his church members. As a matter of fact, every one of us are flawed, deeply flawed. Praise God. Right at the end of this book, John, don't, don't. One of John thought in his mind, now you know what, that, that might hinder some people. I'll probably, now Lord, don't you think it'd be all right if I don't read that Acts 238? I mean, I stumbled across that here this morning whenever I was preparing my sermon, but would, would it be all right if I left that out, that Acts 238? What about that Acts 22, 16 and Acts 8, 16 and all that? Mother, now, Lord, you're... Now, that quote about television, I mean, you know, can't can I leave that out? 
You might as well, because most folks don't believe it anyway. Praise the Lord. But instead of John worrying about his great reputation and his great this and that and the other, John felt, leave it in the book. Let him read of my shame. So, if you're going to write your life story, would me as your pastor in reading your book even know you? And I'm thinking, will the real Dal Duff please stand up? Will the real Terry Horn, will the real this woman, that woman, my, I don't even know this woman here this my time. They bleached it all out and washed it out. Hypocrisy. Face the facts, friend. Oh, I know there's folks that say the blood's over, the mercy seat's over. They don't need it no more. They're bound for hell, I'll tell you that right now. You can't live a day on this earth without needing the mercy and the grace of God. I don't care if you're a preacher, if you're a deacon, you're a trustee, whatever you are. We need it. The more we learn about Him, the more we learn about His ways, the more ignorant I realize I am. And the more ignorant I realize you are. And the more I realize we need the mercy of Almighty God and the Lamb of God pleading for our ignorance. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't come to John and say, all right, John, that's it. You're out. John was one of his. God bless you. Let's stand. We're fixing to change the direction here, so let's, let's stop while we're here. Don't you appreciate God's Word? Yes. Revelation 22, 10, and He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. I love that because the Lord Jesus went straight after John's mistake in the continuation of the revelation. Praise God. Imagine John must have felt so embarrassed and so humiliated. How could I have done this again? I messed up again. I messed up again along the same lines. Oh. Don't you understand that if you messed up totally different every day, every week, it wouldn't, you wouldn't fight near as many mind battles. But when you mess up in the same direction, almost in the same way, that's what Satan beats the far out of every one of us with. Why, you've done this before. You've asked God to forgive you. You've done this. You've done that. Look at John. But John didn't wallow in his sin and wallow in the Lord Jesus never either. John must have just repented and made it right. And the Lord said, where were we? Praise God. If you could only understand in your life when you do wrong, straighten it out. Fix it up and then let the Lord Jesus say, and where were we before this took place? Hallelujah. Because I forgive you. You've made it right. Don't worry about it no more. Apply the blood of the Lord Jesus. I totally forgot about it. Praise be to God. Let's bow our heads if you would. Oh, Heavenly Father. How we long to see that blessed city that you've gone to prepare. But yet, Lord, really... It's not the city that makes heaven so great.
It's the people. Whenever we walk up and we meet men like this, men like Luther that you used to cause a great reformation, yet a man that had so much wrong about him. A man like Wesley, a man like Spurgeon, Finney, Knox, Calvin. And yet Calvin went so far to the left of his doctrine, caused so much error. This is your greatness expressed, Father. By dealing with human beings with partial understanding. And you allocate that to them when you look at them. Knowing that they're only dealing with partial understanding. As we stand here today, a people also with partial understanding. No doubt if we live another year and we'll look down the road and say, I can't believe, I, I, I believe this for so many years. I was so wrong. How could I believe that? Lord, as the beloved John falling into this era of his way again. And we're not here today to condemn our brother. Because we don't know how these visions must have been and what type of effect it had on him. But we know he was wrong. But we know he was a born-again man. Because when he was corrected, he was able to make that wrong right. And we know, Lord, that's one of the greatest evidences that we're born again. It's when we're shown by the word that we're wrong. But it's so hard for us, Lord. It's so hard for us to admit that we're wrong. For some people, they nearly die before they can say, I was wrong. But the truth of it is, every one of us here today, no doubt, have been under the influence of evil spirits. Wrong spirits at times. We believed wrong things. Wrong doctrines. We believed it was sincerity, but it was wrong anyway. And instead, many, instead of being able to just confess it and say, I was wrong, totally, totally wrong, they have to explain it in such a way so they take that error and expound on it and make it even bigger and worse. Help us not to be that way, Lord. Help us when we are shown that we are wrong to repent. If we fall at the feet of an angel, if we tell something that isn't quite right, whatever we do, help us when the Spirit of God smites our heart to repent, Lord, and correct it. That's the type of people that's going to walk down them streets of gold. So you close out this beautiful setting of Revelation 22, not in just more gold and silver and jasper and all that, but correction of the Word. The type of people that will be there. It's perfect, Lord. Absolutely perfect. We would have closed it out with a crescendo of great beauty and excellence and glory. You closed it out with obedience. How perfect you are. Lord Jesus, if there's anything in any of us today that rebels against your word, take it out of us, Father. We know that you hate and despise stubbornness. Oh, Lord, it's likened to witchcraft. In the Old Testament. An idolatry. Help us Father. That we can obey your word. No matter how simple. How complex. Help us Father. In the name of Jesus. Praise be to God. Amazing grace.
shall always be my song of praise for it was grace that bore my liberty I do not know just why he
It's like a picture that you paint. 